0: Salutations, listeners. Sivalis Vileo. Valamagoulis. Nanu Nanu. That, one, that, that worked pretty well that yeah, time. Yeah, that
1: was good. Yeah, nice. We've been practicing. It yeah. was nice,
0: yeah. We rehearsed this. Tuesdays and Thursdays are our rehearsal days. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men and a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Call Action Jackson. Xmas Jackson, Flaxen Waxen. Woo! Uh, In this podcast, we review movies and we like to deliver to you, the listener and average smucks' opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In the show, we try and target movies that are not absolute blockbuster smashes. We also try and target ones that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy even if you wanted to. Um, You know, this is not Ark of the Covenant type movies in either sense of the word. Right. Not a blockbuster like Raiders of the Lost Ark, but also also not not as obscure as... To find as the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, it's so, also
2: not gonna melt your face off if you happen to be a Nazi.
0: Some of them might. It,
2: well, yeah.
0: Nazis have notoriously bad taste in in cinema
2: and soft flesh, from what I hear, easy to punch.
0: Yeah, I mean, I came here to podcast and punch Nazis, and we're just about out of Nazis, so I guess we got a podcast. Ah, fine. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had to contribute a little bit there. <laughs>
0: Each one of my podcasters owes me 100 Nazi scalps. Oh, man. TM. So... Don't, don't sue us. We aim for films that, in our experience, too few people have seen. Uh, some that maybe people have only heard of or ones that maybe you saw when the initial came out, but maybe they deserve another watch or you're curious if they deserve another watch. We review them and we like to deliver to you, the listener, our opinion about whether or not they're worth dusting off or tracking down and pop it in your... Um, uh, uh, your vhs player or Laser media disc? device yeah your phonograph or uh, uh your eight millimeter uh reel
1: your stone tablet
2: i prefer 35 millimeter personally
1: yeah
0: oh man don't even get me started on 35 millimeter it's yeah. not as good as as 36 millimeter it's true mm. that
2: extra millimeter does add quite a
0: bit
1: changes of, everything uh, yeah it, you know I've always had the go big or go home, and I don't even touch anything below thirty-seven millimeter. It's fair. It's I
0: find fair. that kind of pretentious. I, I find you know those are the types of people that are they're pounding away their novel on a typewriter at Starbucks yeah, at n- two in the afternoon. I mean, have I, you been watching me? Whoa. Yeah, I thought you knew that. Oh. Oh, you were that, smiling at me like the whole time. That was you. That was me. Oh, and that was okay. me. I was in, in the
1: bonnet? bear suit, but yeah, oh, no, yeah that was me. Bear, okay. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say bonnet, but bear suit. Oh, well, he
2: had a bonnet too, but the bear suit was underneath the bonnet. Obviously, it was Whoa. layers, layers
0: of mystique.
1: Whoa. Okay. All right. So, uh, what uh, what in, did we watch
0: this week? In this, the fifteenth episode of the series, we reviewed the movie True Story. This is a little bit more. This is on the obs- more obscure side. I mean, big names, but... I had never heard of this movie before tonight. And yeah. I was,
2: I was very excited because I always love watching and discovering new things, and I was
0: very shocked.
1: Yeah, not only is it somewhat recent, I mean, this came out in, was that, 2015, but the like you were saying, the names are huge.
0: Um, yeah. So, all right, so we got True Story, came out in 2015, rated R. Super deserves that R rating. Yeah, um, for subject matter. For uh, exactly, yeah. Nothing. A little
2: bit of the language, but pretty much, yeah. Just the subject matter was what drives the rating. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah. Do not watch this with the kids. No. So help me, do not watch this with the kids. We got a hour and forty minute runtime on this movie. Yeah. Perfect. It was solid. No. Yeah.
1: I I felt like the movie climaxed when it should have. Like it. This this was this was good. It was actually kind of refreshing to to watch, like, a shorter movie that still felt fulfilling, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah,
2: it didn't run at at a huge clip, but it also didn't drag on. It it felt very natural, Mm -hmm. progressed the way I figured it should. But also, I wasn't counting down the minutes and checking the runtime. It was pretty impressive.
0: Which kind of suggests to me, and I, again, I don't know this for a fact. We have not looked into this. As you could probably guess, True Story, the movie, is based on a true story, and... It kind of suggests to me that it, it didn't drag, but it also, like, it wasn't a super long movie. It wasn't crazy grandiose. Like, suggests that it may be kind of closer to the truth than your average true story uh, movie. I, I, I mean, that's just, like, a, a gut feeling I have. I don't have anything to back that up. But IMDb has this as a crime drama mystery thriller. Yes. All of those. Yeah. All of the above. Yeah, I is there anything that's missing?
1: No, I don't I don't think so because it's def it's not an action, you know. I mean, I think that certainly not a comedy. I think that we could Ooh. talk about each of those genres and how they relate to this movie specifically. So, I, yeah, I'm I'm happy with I that. I think
2: the only tag that might be missing is suspense, but that might be a little misleading.
1: Yeah. I think that that could be covered though under mystery and thriller. It's true. Um, but you know, you're right. You're right. There is definitely some tension in places that you would not expect it.
0: I also feel like, kind of like in Kung Fu Hustle, where we're like, yeah, I feel like it deserves a Kung Fu tag, because some people classify that as a type of movie. This might also do well with like a true story or true crime yeah. tag uh, applied to it. So IMDb has the description of this movie as, when disgraced New York Times reporter Michael Finkel meets accused killer Christian Longo, who has taken on Finkel's identity his investigation morphs into a game of cat and mouse I don't know if I'm in love with that description
2: yeah the the phrase cat and mouse suggests I don't know sort of a catch me if you can or I see a chase scene in my head and that's not really how how this plays out
0: yeah and it also sort of suggests that they're like at odds with one another right and yeah i I, I don't know about I don't know about that description I feel like this movie is one that you should probably watch without that description yeah the only thing i, I mean wh- how would you amend it like i think the first part is accurate you know new york times reporter this dude accused of killing his family assumes his identity and he meets him and interviews him yeah and i think that's probably all you want to know about the movie going in
1: we yeah we, we got to get into spoilers i think yeah. before we can like kind of elaborate yeah so who
0: else we got in this movie
1: that we've got uh james hill and jonah franco
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. No, th- these were, I think, the, the big names that I was referring to. Um, but seriously, James Franco and Jonah Hill playing roles that I know I've never seen them
0: play. This is a very serious movie. Very serious. And neither of them do you see in this type of role very frequently. Yeah,
1: There's there's no humor really being presented by by those two characters. I mentioned it with Rain Over Me and Adam Sandler, but I really enjoy watching a traditional kind of comedian or what you would expect to be a traditional comedian jump into heavy roles. I, I'd lap that up.
0: So uh, we got James Franco as Christian Longo, who's the the man accused of killing his family. Jonah Hill as Mike Finkel, who's this uh, New York Times reporter. Uh, we also have Ethan Soupley in this movie, so if you're familiar with Frankie the Enforcer in Boy Meets World, he was also in My Name is Earl.
2: He was Seth Ryan in American
0: History X. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was where I was going next. That was a, holy shit, that movie.
1: Possibly his biggest known role, though, uh, from Evolution.
0: Um, oh, so good. Oh. I knew we covered him in some yeah. in something we, we did. Yeah. I just... Couldn't, couldn't think of it. We also
1: had uh, Felicity Jones, yeah. uh, who I was very impressed with, and I, I enjoyed watching her arc through this.
0: Yeah, we also got William Jackson Harper in a very bit part. I, I would not have been able to give you his name, but if any of you watch The Good Place, he plays Cheaty, the co-star, along with uh, Kristen Bell in that show. I love that show. That is a great show. It's and, a great show. And this is very clearly like early in his... Repertoire. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Uh, But he is such a good actor, and he cracks me up in that show. So, uh, shout out to him. And, hey, if you want to write us and tell us that you love the show, too, that's fine. Like You can do that. That works for me. Yeah. Burp envelope, whatever. Yeah. (sighs) Okay, so, would we recommend this movie is the question. Uh, (laughs) It's like three deep breaths. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. Uh,
1: (laughs) Settle up. I think... Um, with some, some caveats, you know, um, this is not a feel good movie. This is a movie that, that you watch once and you absorb. I think it's going to go over some people's heads, but again, if, if the criteria is do we would we recommend it to ourselves before we watched it? 100%. I, I really felt like I got something out of this.
2: I agree. I feel like this movie comes with a surgeon general's warning, um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. If you're going to take it in, you have to be prepared for what comes next. But you're right. If someone on the street or one of my friends had told me, hey, you really need to see this movie, and I will tell you, it is a movie that is going to make you think I would sign up immediately.
0: Completely agree. Uh, I would recommend this movie to myself, but I would be very discriminating about who I would recommend it to just like in the general public. Uh, It is very heavy content matter is pretty substantial hard to watch and it doesn't like it just sort of like compounds with the idea and the notion and the 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 knowledge rather that it's a true story so you know full warning but if you're the if you're the kind of person who likes true crime stories if you're the kind of person who likes sort of unusual true events it might be it might be worth worth a watch or if you just want to see james franco and Jonah Hill in sort of an un- unusual role for them. Like, I think they both like nailed it. Yeah. They, they really like got outside their comfort zone and I think they did it well. Yeah.
1: yeah. We, with the caveat too, with the Jonah Hill, James Franco thing, like if you love Jonah Hill, James Franco movies, traditionally know that this is unique and you may not like it. If that is the kind of movie that you're, that you're after, you know, I think if, if you want to watch an actor stretch their legs and, and kind of see that the full range of their, ability 100% all over it. But, you know, you know, you love Pineapple Express, you've come to the wrong place.
2: And I would agree with you on the Jonah Hill side of things. You know, he's done a lot of comedic roles. He's done a couple of, of good serious roles, too. But James Franco has this huge range of going straight from stoner movies to doing films like this. Um, you know, he's had TV shows where he played serious roles, and he he's proven that he does it really well. Um, yeah, but, he was in uh, what 127 hours. Yeah, and, and Freaks and Geeks. yeah and, mm-hmm. and so you know, he's got the chops, and everybody knows it. Jonah Hill is sort of a, an outlier in that where we've probably seen him in some serious roles, but obviously he's more comfortable on the comedic side.
1: What I thought was interesting too is in this movie you can feel the chemistry between the two of them, but again, not in the way that you would expect. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I think again if you say this is Jonah Hill and James Franco, the assumption is that it's a comedy because it's those two, even though they they do have serious roles from time to time. Their combination is,
0: is it's really good in us. So uh that's that's three wrecks all around. Mm-hmm. I yep. So are we ready to <laughs> <laughs> spoilers spoilers. i i i don't know exactly what mark did but
1: (laughs) i'm trying a new thing Uh, yeah you're really trying a new thing almost almost sounded like a a sonar spoiler (laughs) Ooh. Ooh. I'm gonna save that for next week. Yeah, yeah you better you better There's wait for that. Stuff. But yeah, so <laughs> we were talking about heavy subject matter. We're talking about child murder here and yeah. and you see there there are visual components to that subject matter in in a way that like a, like a Citizen X was pretty graceful about dodging around this it didn't spare you the imagery.
0: Wow, you just took like an aggressive left turn from the boy 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 ass. I'm sorry, but boy.
1: child murder?
0: Gosh. Yeah, that was Is that that, too much that, guys? That, that's right uh, out the
2: gate. But that's how the movie starts. It does. It's they're right, right like that. No
0: punches pulled. Oh. Uh so I guess I guess we just got to jump right into it and we got to yeah. we got to like basically talk about this first scene cuz so one of the things I do pretty frequently in my day-to-day life um, I find as like a, a healthy and enjoyable mental exercise is to ask questions like, what would you rather? What are your top five? Blah, blah, blah. And one of the ones that I really like to ask is like top five saddest scenes in any movie. And this movie, I had seen it before. I was the only one of the three that had seen it. But for some reason, that scene never made it to my list. I don't know if I just forgot that it existed, but it is truly like challenging to watch haunting yeah it is so basically the movie opens the first scene is the teddy bear it, it is a it is a close-up of teddy bear fur you don't know what it is initially and it starts to come into focus as the teddy bear basically falls away from the camera and you realize that the camera is up above sort of suspended what six seven feet off the ground aimed down at the ground And as the teddy bear falls, uh, it starts to take up less and less of the frame and other things start becoming apparent. And it's basically falling onto a two-year-old child who is curled up inside a suitcase and falls down on top of her. And then the suitcase gets zipped up and then tossed in a bay. It is an incredibly challenging scene to watch. Your heart just plummets immediately because
2: entering into this movie without any knowledge i I purposefully avoided any synopses or trailers because i wanted to experience the full immersion of this movie and sorry poor word choice and the second we kind of got a glimpse of what was happening all of a sudden my blood pressure dropped and i was cold for a second because i realized we are watching the death of a toddler it's just brutal And then from that scene, we... We cut to Africa. Yeah. And uh,
0: just as abruptly as we enter, we leave. Basically, it's a pretty dramatic uh, change of scene. We find ourselves in a hut in Africa with Jonah Hill, who is interviewing some youths, um, or youths, as they would say uh, in My Cousin Vinny. And he's using a translator and is clearly asking these youths about uh, some abuse that they have uh, undergone. And um, he's trying to get information from them. They're clearly, like, scared and uncomfortable. And there is this very, like, ambiguous part of the scene where, like, even somebody who's not a reporter hasn't undergone, like, a ethics and journalism class. I think everybody can kind of pick up that this is not strictly ethical like he pulls out a ten dollar bill from his wallet and he's like you see this like you can have this as long as i get an answer to my question Mm -hmm. and like paying for information even your like average schmo in the street knows that's like that's a pretty fucking big no-no because what are people going to do when when you're handing them money for information they're going to give you information whether it's fucking true or not like they're not telling their story because they want it told they're telling a story because you paid them to yeah
2: yeah lack of journalistic integrity
1: yep and you don't you don't fully grasp what's really going on in that scene you just kind of get that kind of off-put feeling you know it establishes jonah hill as someone who takes himself very seriously despite his you know unethical behavior i mean you can just kind of tell in the way he presents himself there yeah where do, where do we go from there so
0: from there it cuts back to new york and jonah hill is basically back in new york you've learn at the end of the last scene that he is a reporter for the new york times and he's back in new york he is back at the times and he's sort of finishing up this story and the next day it runs it grabs the headline of new york times like Big deal, big story.
2: Yeah, he made the cover of the New York Times magazine, which he,
0: is huge. Huge. And, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the, he said the 10th time it gets dropped in conversations, like the 10th time he's done it. And he's clearly a hot shot columnist for the New York Times. And he ends up getting called in, like, the next day. And he, his bosses want to talk to him. And he thinks he's going to get a Pulitzer or be up for a Pulitzer. And what actually ends up happening is they're asking him about some of the questions that have come up related to the article. They want to know, like, people are saying like the person he said was in the picture is not the person in the picture. This other person is. And he also interviewed that person, but it it comes to light pretty quickly that what ended up happening was he interviewed a whole bunch of kids uh, surrounding this story and he sort of rolled all of their stories into a single one because he thought it would be more impactful. And... He I mean, he lied. Basically, he, he lied about what transpired, what happened to who mm-hmm. and a combination of like the PR damage done to The New York Times, the need for a retraction to the story and kind of the credibility damage that he's done to the charities that work with these kids, trying to get them off of like abusive cocoa plantations and stuff like that. He ends up getting fired and he kind of loses his way a little bit like he he, really like his job was clearly his identity
1: yeah there's there's a scene well it's that scene where he's pleading with them about how they are to proceed like he he's asking you know well can i can i i can leave right now and i can i can write up a retraction just just don't print an apology you know if you do this no one's going to touch me and he's pleading with them you know he he says please and, obviously, they have to protect their own reputation. And he ends up getting canned. Um, there's a little slice scene that's that's thrown in, I think, possibly even between the first and the scene we were just talking about, where we get just a brief introduction to James Franco's character. And he uses the name Michael Finkel. And that scene is stacked right up against a scene where Jonah Hill's character references himself and even pulls out his, his identification. So you know that, that both men are going by Michael Finkel. But one of them clearly is.
0: Yeah, basically, it cuts to a church in Mexico, and James Franco is in this church, meets this young German woman, and has uh, carnal relations with her. I did not have sex with that German woman. But he did, though. But he definitely did. He definitely did. And And that's not great.
2: Under the desk, it was coitus. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um. James Franco, his character is arrested. We need a little levity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's really heavy subject. Now. It is
0: like it's pretty dark.
1: But um so James Franco's character's arrested. We don't see that happen, but it's it's alluded to. You see you see the cops show up. And You know, there's a brief montage of um, Jonah Hill's character making several phone calls. He's trying to get work, but again, no one's touching him. Every conversation that he has leads back to this uh, African story. So you really get the idea that he is down on his luck and there's really nothing that, that he can do to stay in his field
0: nobody trusts him anymore yeah like his his credibility is gone so his ability to sell himself as a journalist who does honest work has evaporated and he ends up getting this call sort of in the midst of this emotional and and existential turmoil from a reporter asking him about this guy and he's like what the fuck are you talking about like who is this guy and he's like why are you talking to me and the guy said well didn't you know any of this like he he said he was you He was pretending to be you. Mm -hmm. And Jonah Hill like Googles it, finds out that, oh yeah, here's this guy who's accused of murdering his whole family, wife and three kids. And he was basically using my identity while in Mexico on the lam, Mm -hmm. which like how fucked up would that be?
2: That's yeah. I, I remember getting hit by that because not only did he commit these atrocities, but the very next day he went and took off. And took on somebody else's name, was presumably having a good time in Mexico, obviously he was having a good time with some German woman, and very casually and comfortably using somebody else's identity. Mm-hmm. And then you find out, as a person, you find out not only did this person
0: kill his entire family, but then took your name and fled the law. And you said I got hit by that, I definitely thought you were going to talk about a time that you were a victim of identity theft. Oh,
2: I mean, just my bank accounts, but there's nothing in those, so...
0: It's true. Yeah. It's like somebody stealing an empty cup from you. Yeah. like, great, you got a cup. Yeah, you can well, have done. it. There was no scotch in that. Better not have been scotch in not that. Not
2: anymore. I drank the scotch.
0: Ah, yeah, people walking around saying, yo, I'm Xmas Jackson, flax and waxing.
1: That's, that's some necessary levity.
0: Yeah, um, we're going to try to inject that as no, much just as... A, just like pepper a it in. fucking shot of cortisol to the knee. Like, we're going to try to inject as much pain relieving uh, levity as possible. I need yeah. some scotch.
1: So you can tell <laughs> that for uh, internal wounds. Right.
0: Bandages are for external wounds, scotch is for internal oh, wounds. Man.
1: You can tell that Jonah Hill's character is intrigued and I think he even mentions that he's like somewhat flattered that that this guy would use his name. And I think that's like the first kind of like foreshadow into Jonah Hill's kind of mental state. Because you find that there's a striking number of similarities between these two people um they're both a bit narcissistic yeah very much very much but it manifests in in very different ways
0: yeah i feel like one thing that the filmmakers or the story writers whatever may have been doing with that is sort of identifying how like certain traits yeah like you said can manifest in really different ways and the people who have the traits that can lead to Murdering your entire family can also lead you to, say, be like a really exceptional journalist or like the CEO of a company. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like like you hear like CEOs have disproportionately high levels of like sociopathy and and Psychopathy. psychopathy and like their minds work very different from your average schmo. And they end up finding themselves in these in these roles pretty frequently. But those types of traits can also lead to like, you know, fucking hunting humans for sport and like
1: I find that fascinating
0: terrifying I think is maybe the word that most people would use but yes fascinating as well
1: I would disagree I think that most people find it intriguing you know I think no that's true that's true (laughs) there are so many like books and movies written about some of the most heinous criminals in our history you know uh the the Jeffrey Dahmers the the John Wayne Gacy's you know people are fascinated by aberrance yeah people
0: fucking love aberrance anytime you see somebody doing something that you're just like I cannot even begin to put myself in your shoes you have
2: to you have to read it to understand that's I think that's part of the craving is you want to understand what made this person do this thing
0: yeah and it's just like it's it's 99% 99% of the time it's wholly unsatisfying. Yep. Like not unsatisfying. I shouldn't say that, but it's like you're trying to find an answer that doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's like an itch and you cannot scratch it no matter how much like fucked up things you read that people have done. You're just like this is not satisfying me in in like a a, a solution sense because it's just
1: I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I I well, it it is your opinion and so there's no room for me to agree or disagree. But I, when I, and hopefully I'm not outing myself here, but when I, when I watch these types of movies, I'm intrigued and there's like a certain like allure to it. You know, um, like you, you, you know, you go about your life and this fantasy that, that you could be, you know, uh, predators, the wrong word, but like these people seem to exist on a different plane and they, in a
2: liminal space.
1: Yeah. They, they can manipulate and they can control and they are, always in control even when they're behind bars it's very seductive i think to some people
0: yeah i mean i think i think like the attraction maybe varies by person but i feel like the majority of people are attracted strictly due to the aberrance it's it's the it's the same thing that attracts people to the circus you know it's like to see some some crazy shit that you didn't think you know existed in the world or that a human being was capable of like you do the same thing when you re- read that shit. You're like, oh my god, how could a human being perpetrate this type of carnage? Um,
1: I think some people are are looking for reflections of themselves in it, too. Like, not necessarily in the heinous atrocities that they've committed, but in a, wow, I, I can relate with, with this, and I can relate with that, and that I find attractive. And then their mind starts wondering, well... If I'm having these weird connections and these weird kind of self-reflections, does that mean that I too am capable of these atrocities? And
0: I, well, I think that's part of the putter what you're looking for is like mm-hmm. you're looking for what is the thing that separates me from this person? Mm-hmm. Why why does Jeffrey Dahmer and and Albert Fish and Ed Gein and all those fucked up dudes? Ted Bundy. Why do they do that and I don't do that? And it's a little like you know, seeing blood, like people have a tendency to have a visceral reaction to blood. And like one of the strong arguments for why that is, is is it, it's this like aggressive reflection of your own mortality. You are a bag of goo. And and if the bag gets broken, you're in danger. And that's, that's like something we don't like to think about. Our, our brain really likes to avoid that topic. and, thank you you for
2: bringing it up by the way now it's all i can think about i know right and when
0: you you know you're you're a goo envelope and when you see stuff like that when you see carnage you're forced to reconcile those things and it's sort of similar with like people committing heinous crimes is like you want to know what's what makes them not you and you not them but oftentimes the line is not really like stark or distinct and, and you can't point to something and say, well, uh, that person has a mole on their cheek. And obviously everybody who's got a mole on their cheek is the one who's committed heinous crimes. Boom. Case closed. I don't have a mole. I'm not at risk of this. No. But it's not that clear cut. It's this really weird, blurry area. And it scares people and it forces them into this situation where they have to reflect and think like, not only am I not that different from the person who did this terrible stuff, but there are a lot of people around me all the time who are also not that different from the people who have committed this stuff. And, like, it only takes one. And it's it's a very uncomfortable feeling that you find yourself in when you try to process this type of shit. But I think, like, a lot of the allure, a lot of the drive is to be like, what is it? What is the thing that makes them them and me me? And how can I how can I just look at the line to know that I'm not on the other side of it?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. By the way, I'm going to rewind a little bit and say
0: Goo Envelope is a great new band name, and I call it. All right, then I will be Bag of Goo. All right. (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right. Also, like, let's just say, if there is not a pornographic film out there... Called Goo Envelope? Called Bag of Goo. Don't want to watch that one. (laughs) I'll pass that one. I'm not going to say I'm going to hunt it down. But if somebody was like, "Oh yeah, no, it's uh, my my dad's got a whole bunch of smut films in the back, you know, and and one of them's called Bag of Goo," I'd be like, "Yeah, no, I know, Starring I, I Brandy Max.
2: Starring oh. who? Brandy Max.
0: Oh yes, star of such adult fare as, <laughs> as Bag moist of Goo, Bag of Goo, and moist cardboard,
2: <laughs> and too big to nail. <laughs> uh, all right,
0: all right. Uh, okay, so we're we're getting we're getting back on the gravy train here gravy train is super not the right term but no, no but it try, fits just trying to fucking get us back on track yeah, yeah. it's
1: such a heavy subject matter, it man it is
0: like I'm, I'm really enjoying these little like diversions into not fucked up land
1: yeah. yeah so long and short you know jonah hill ends up tracking down uh james franco and ends up actually meeting with him, and it is kind of through their meeting that Jonah Hill decides that he is going to attempt to write a book about James Franco's story, partly because he finds it intriguing because of all the connections and similarities he finds with James Franco, but, I mean, also very much because he doesn't have very many options if he wants to try to stay in his field.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's literally has said to his girlfriend through this film, he's like, this is my only chance and second chance. Is just look, this literally fell into my lap. Like, this is my only chance to get back, getting back in the game. Like, the guy is, like we said, his his identity is as a writer. To be completely shunned by the professional writing community is it, got to be devastating.
2: There, there is a scene before he ends up getting the call that uh, Christian Longo is taking his identity, where he's he's calling pretty much every contact in his little black book, and. Every single one of them shoots him down.
1: Christian Longo, that is the murderer. So uh, James Franco
2: played
0: him. Yes. Is that what you're looking for?
2: Yeah, yeah. When Christian Longo takes over the identity of of Mike Finkel, uh, right before we find that out, he's he's calling all of these uh, news outlets, reporters, media superstars, magazines, and every single one of them says, "Look, you you screwed up too big. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna take you on." And you you get a very clear picture that he's been shut down. He's been blacklisted from
0: the journalism game. I mean, he even jumped right into like black and white. And started singing, you know, take me on, take on me, and they're all like, no, and it was like, it it, was beautiful. Honestly, their lyrical response did not did not fit into the song he was singing. Was it was really awful? It clashed, but they did it, and and he was. Mark is judging the shit out of me. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, I
1: understand we're doing everything that we can to try to avert from this topic. But we got to talk about it. Yeah,
0: I think the the meat and potatoes of this film is pretty straightforward and can kind of be, I don't know, breezed over. But, like, there's a pretty substantial middle part of this film where Jonah Hill and James Franco's characters are basically getting to know each other. There's definitely a friendship blossoming. Mm -hmm. And... He's collecting information from his book. James Franco has agreed to give him pieces of the story as long as Jonah Hill agrees that he won't publish until after the trial and that he gives him like writing tips. There was one other thing that he had to agree to.
1: I thought it was the, it was the two I thought it was it was the
0: it was like a tit tit for tat. It wasn't a tit for tat. Jonah Hill was going to supply writing tips. James Franco was going to supply the truth. Jonah
2: Hill. Couldn't. Oh, you're right. I'm yeah, sorry. Yes,
0: that's the tit tit. Is the writing tips and the don't yeah. publish to a lot yeah, yeah. trial. Right. My bad. Okay. So The tit tit. The tit tit for tat. I I would prefer two tits to every tat.
2: I have a tat. I don't have two tits. You have one. Yeah. Whoa. It's right in the middle.
1: Wow.
0: Ugh. Yeah. Should have listened to that one boob chick. That's, yeah. That's a tit. Kung Pao tit. is also on our list. By the way. A tit. I can't wait. A Morton's tit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is never gonna end. This Morton's no, I Morton's toe. No. I hope
1: not. Um,
2: My grandma lived in a town called Morton. Yeah, I think everybody had Morton toes out there.
1: All the all the Garlingtons going yep. back generations. All the, all the All the good ones, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So again, if we're if we're kind of summarizing a few scenes here. Really, Jonah Hill is almost taking a shine to him. You know, he's he's comparing the notes that James Franco has written for him to, like, notes that that he has taken himself. You know, and he's, like, just shocked. I mean, even the the doodles on the sides of the the pages are, are similar. So he's drawing connections. Like, he needs that for some reason. And it kind of, I think, obscures some of his skill sets. Some of his judgment. Yeah, very much so. Um, And so like at the midway point of this movie, you can tell that Jonah Hill and I I know for me personally, as I was watching and I started questioning, did was was James Franco guilty of what they said? And that morphed into, you know, was he guilty of some of it? You know, what is what is the, the bigger story? And like you really start believing that you're seeing the humanity in
0: James Franco, which is a brilliant piece of filmmaking, because that's exactly what Jonah Hill's character was going through is like. He started to question. He started to be unsure about these things. And James Franco's character, Christian Longo, had entered in a not guilty plea on all counts. And it wasn't until after a pretty substantial spell where they were exchanging information and uh, Jonah Hill's character was starting to write this book that the preliminary hearing uh, happened and James Franco's character, Christian Longo, he entered in a plea of not guilty for his two older kids and a plea of guilty for his wife and youngest kid, who you, are, you later learn was the one in the suitcase. And as you can imagine, that is incredibly confusing.
2: And incredibly damaging to Jonah Hill's character because not only is he basing everything on this book, now his entire book is predicated on a lie.
0: Yeah, and he had to basically learn about this in the preliminary hearing after he was
1: already told that he was getting a, like a $250,000 advance on the on the book. Right. So not only yeah, I mean his, his the book that he's writing but you know, he is further damaging his career potentially by not being as thorough as, you know, he's expected to be. Yeah. Um, So... uh, That that preliminary trial, though, I just want to jump in there for a minute. Like, some of the verbiage that James Franco was using during his deposition were phrases that he had pulled from his conversation with Jonah Hill's character several scenes
0: prior. Wait, not in the preliminary trial. In the preliminary trial, he was just he didn't actually take the stand. He was just entering in the, the pleas, the guilty and not guilty. pleas. Oh yeah, that's right. And so he was just like, you know, not guilty. And the judge is like, you realize this is kind of fucked up. And like the odds that you just did all of them or none of them is way better than the, the odds that you did some of them. Mm -hmm. So like, this is going to confuse the shit out of the jury and like the, the odds that you're entering in these pleas to intentionally try and, and confuse the jury are pretty high and that's not great.
1: And he under, yeah, the camera like zooms in on his face and like James Franco does a fantastic job with this, with this piece of work. You know, he, like you can just like see in his eyes that he is completely comprehending what he is doing, you know, very, very, you know, calculated, you know, I understand. And that, for me, was one of the first signs that maybe Franco believes himself to be the smartest one in the room. I felt like there, I was,
0: still, I, there was still a little doubt for me
1: that a, was, at that point. There like was some the, doubt, but that's, that was the first nugget for me. Yeah.
2: See, I had an inkling that we weren't getting the full story right from the moment that he made Mike Finkel agree not to publish anything until after the trial. Because at that point, we know... A that Mike is writing the book as he goes. B we know that he's not admitting to anything and C we know that he clearly did something otherwise he wouldn't be in jail. So we don't know if he committed all the murders or none of the murders or half the murders or one of the murders, but we know he did some of it. And so by by forcing him to agree not to publish until after the trial, we know he's withholding something juicy that's going to essentially be the big reveal.
0: Yeah, and that is definitely confirmed in an exchange that Jonah Hill has with the lead prosecutor, or one of the lead prosecutors, who basically says to him, like, listen, we want all of your information, all of your, all your correspondence, everything that you have on this guy. So we can pour over it and see if it'll help us in the trial. And Joan Hill basically denies him. And in that exchange, the prosecutor says basically just that, that there's a calmness and a smugness about Longo that is unsettling. And it means that he feels like he has another card to play. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get to see that card as the trial unfolds. Basically, the trial opens up with the prosecution's case, which is truly horrible to watch because they do use photos photos of the children and of the the wife in the suitcases and shit. It's it's definitely if you're watching this movie and you're sensitive to that kind of shit, like when the prosecution is presenting their case, like maybe fast forward that that scene. It's like it's challenging to watch. And then after that, it gets to the defense's portion. Uh, The next day, and Longo takes the stand and basically sings this story about how he told his wife that basically they were in deep financial trouble. They were massively in debt on credit cards, check fraud, all this stuff. And um, the next day, he went to work, came home, and his wife, according to him, had killed all the kids. And he ended up killing her in a fit of rage. And then he realized that the younger one wasn't dead, so he killed her himself, which was, honestly, that was actually maybe the hardest part of the movie to listen to. That and the opening sequence were were very challenging. And then he put his wife and youngest daughter in a suitcase and tossed them in the bay. And that was his story, and that was basically the, that was what he was sitting on. And that's why he entered this confusing plea saying, I'm guilty of two, but I'm not guilty of the other two, basically as a way to to basically say the, the initial two killings weren't him and the two killings that were him, one was in rage, that was his wife, and one was in mercy because he discovered his daughter, like, you know, basically dead, but not all the way dead, and so he just, like, finished it. Um, so fucked up. Incredibly fucked up. So it was it was in that him taking the stand that he used definitely two, perhaps three different
1: just bits of verbiage.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and you could tell that turns of phrase. Yeah. As he was metaphors. saying, him,
1: like it was it was a story to him, like it was rehearsed. It was like they they came out of his mouth as if that's where they originated. You could tell that he was he was weaving. He was weaving something.
0: And as you can imagine, Jonah Hill just, like, flipped his shit. Like, he got to the bathroom and he just, like, I thought he was going to puke. But he just ended up, like, punching the stall. Because, like, basically what happened was this, this person who was not eloquent, this person who did not have a mastery of words, manipulated Jonah Hill, a professional writer. Investigator. Investigator to basically help him cultivate powerful turns of phrases that he could weave into his narrative to convince a jury that he was not guilty of shit that he was definitely guilty of so basically i mean a a person sticks their hand up your ass and works you like a puppet and tries to get you to help them get off with murder like it's terrible and if somebody if somebody had manipulated me in that way like I I cannot tell you how fucking violated I would feel. Like I would feel dirty, d- filthy. I mean, just
1: mm-hmm. it's such a powerful performance. I think because you really you really feel that that reaction from him. He he then kind of proceeds to contact that uh, investigator again to uh,
0: the the prosecution prosecutor prosecutioner.
1: Yeah, for the prosecutioner. <laughs>
0: he does
2: wear a black hood which i thought was interesting
0: yeah it's it's a little weird with the eye holes and the yeah yeah it's burlap which is weird
2: and i mean instead of a shotgun mounted on the back of his vehicle it was a battle axe which was kind of interesting
0: some of that isn't
1: true
2: it's true Uh, it's a true story (laughs) you might say all of that all of that is untrue which is true uh, it's a true story. It's a true story.
1: Yeah, so he he basically he goes to to this guy and he like says, "Here's all of my notes. Maybe, I done fucked up. Yeah, maybe you can pour over. Maybe maybe there's there there's time." And the the guy just just looks at him and just like you too know, little, too late. Man. Yeah, you you missed the gravy train, man. What happens now is is going to happen, and 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 hopefully the uh, the, the jury can see through him in a way that you couldn't.
0: Yeah, this matter is beyond all the other matters in the same way that a Morton's toe is beyond all of the other toes. Yes. One might say. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's what people say, right? They're like, like, oh, yeah, no, this can't be helped. This is a Morton's toe. This is. (laughs) God damn it it's so heavy <laughs> it is really heavy i just i need to keep doing it like i yeah. need to keep like just fucking getting myself in an in okay headspace because this movie is fucking dark it's, uh it's so okay. yeah there's there's like a,
1: a quick scene too that i think it, it happens before some of this so i'm just gonna kind of throw it in there um his his wife or girlfriend um is heavy. jonah
0: hill mike finkel uh his his girlfriend
1: yeah yeah sorry um she's kind of watching Jonah Hill digest this information and go through it throughout the course of the movie. And you can tell that she's very troubled by it. She's capable of seeing through what um, what James Franco is doing in a way that Jonah Hill isn't. There's a there's a powerful scene where uh, both Jonah Hill uh, and his girlfriend are on their various keyboards. Um, One of them happens to be uh, the keyboard of of a laptop, and the other is is a piano, and so you you really get the idea that that these two kind of complement each other in a way, and and that kind of I think is some foreshadowing for later in the movie where she's able to put it together. But um, anyway, there there's a scene where James Franco calls the house of Jonah Hill, um, and his girlfriend answers the phone, and at first the story is that oh can you just leave him a message, uh, but very quickly as the viewer you realize that this was not the intention of that phone call. James Franco starts flattering her um is very quick with his words. It's not a conversation and it's it's not a monologue, but James it's like Franco It's a
0: combination like evaluation and like manipulation. Manipulation. Yeah, he is both trying to size her up and also get her to do anything that he can get her to do.
1: Yeah, he is he is very obviously steering the conversation in a direction that he needs it to go and the manipulation is is so palpable there. Initially uh, when I first when I when I saw the scene, I I was concerned. Well, that was another one of the red flags for his character because at that point you don't know the degree to which he is guilty. But that's a very unsettling scene.
2: Made me want to call my wife. It felt like my skin was crawling. Uh, just the temperature. That's the that's of the, the that's scene. the crabs. He, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Uh, I def, now I definitely have to call my wife. <laughs> God, damn Sorry it's... about that. By the way, you know, just uh, you
1: know, God damn it. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> man Uh, that's why i don't eat seafood
0: yeah just a good old-fashioned Maryland crab boil yeah uh but this (laughs) scene i'm sorry i just have to keep like keep bringing us up i know just i keep you know we're in an air hot air balloon and i just keep ripping that cord like go up go up (laughs) talk about something that's not this
2: yeah but the temperature of that scene the attitude felicity jones character is clearly feeling how we are and at one point I should mention his Mike Finkel's office where he does all of his writing is just peppered with correspondence from Christian Longo. And it's, it's very much like that scene in a beautiful mind where everything's plastered all over the walls and you're sort of building a narrative. He's nailing the letters and drawings from Christian Longo to the walls of his office to the point where his entire office is decorated in yellow legal pads and Felicity her character, uh, Jill, keeps looking at it offhand, just sort of uncomfortable. And at one point during the phone call with Christian Longo, she just shuts the doors to the office. And I think it was a symbolic, I'm trying to shut him out and keep him out of my head, which I I felt that as a viewer. I don't know about you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really, that's really interesting. I did not think about it that way during the movie, but yeah, it does feel like his office is sort of taking on the appearance and the vibe of the mind of that man. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it really was, now that you mention it, it really was sort of a symbolic, like, okay, I'm definitely closing the fucking door to that part of the house because that part of the house is the brain of a fucking killer. hmm And uh, that, she, that's she,
1: no good. She peeks into the room every every once in a while, and you can just tell that she feels
0: dirty being in that room. It's also pretty fucking haunting because it's, like, it's not only yellow, which is, like, it's a pretty unsettling color. Like, I mean, just, like, that, that kind of, like, Maybe not yellow, yellow, but a dingy kind of like cream yellow. That's an that's an unsettling color, and it's like basically the whole room has become that. And he's got these really fucking like demented drawings and shit, and just horrible stuff. Not to mention that they all came from a fucking killer, like, and and not just like any killer. Like it takes a special kind of fucked up to kill your family, mm.
2: to drown a two year old in a suitcase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's That takes a special... And, like, cold blood, like, it really isn't even, like, a crime of passion. Should I go to Starbucks or should I kill my children? Yeah, it was, like, yeah, really demented. Anyway, so, yada, 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 that's our way of, of saying a whole bunch of other shit that we don't have time to talk about happens. And it ends up in the verdict scene... He gets uh, a guilty verdict on all counts and gets recommended for the death penalty. And then it cuts to a scene where Jonah Hill decides he needs to like get some resolution from all of this like mindfuckery.
2: Close this chapter on the book.
0: Yeah, and he goes and and visits this guy in prison and. Franco, he's basically acting like they're old buddies again, like what he did was not completely like that shit. And like using Jonah Hill's words in order to get off for a fucking like capital murder charge. He's talking about it. And he's basically saying like, oh, I got a new appeals lawyer. He's going to help me you know, appeal, blah, blah, blah. I think we're going to go with, uh, like, this defense. And basically, I'm going to change my fucking story Mm -hmm. and lie. I'm ready to tell the truth. And Jonah Hill, kind of in, like, a... I think kind of a neat gesture, sort of manipulates him back and is like, no, we can't do that because, you know, such and such. Basically, the story that Franco is, is spinning is, oh, the truth is I came home and she was smothering the toddler. And I just went crazy and I don't remember any of it and I must have killed all of them including the other kids and then I i woke up at the airport and I have no idea what happened. And Jonah Hill's character is basically like, no, that wouldn't work because why would she wait the whole day to kill the to kill the toddler? Why would she wait right until you're coming home? Like doesn't add up, blah blah blah. Maybe you could go with this story and he sort of like made up a story. Could that work? And, and Freiko falls for it for a he, second. He does. He's like yeah, I don't know, maybe that could work. And then Jonah Hill just like fucking punches the glass and he's like, no, it won't work because it's a fucking lie because you're not telling the truth. And it was solid. Like it was it was nice to see the manipulator get manipulated.
1: But the scene is immediately twisting. So so Jonah Hill, like, you know, he nuts up and he like confronts him. But then Franco kind of sits back and like just kind of reminds him, you know, how, how are the sales on the book?
0: You need me. You know? He knows why he's there. Yeah. He's there because he needs to finish the book.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll open my mouth. One day I'll open my mouth and and, and you'll be there. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can tell that it's kind of in vain. He has
0: Jonah Hill by the balls. Yeah, he's reminding him of the power dynamic, which is a, a hallmark of master manipulators. Like, mm-hmm. it's demented. Uh, Yeah, so after that...
1: I think at that point then it goes to the book signing?
0: Yes, and there, there's one final scene with the book signing where... Um, I, and let me just say, up
1: to that point, I was really hoping that Jonah Hill would have a redemption moment where, uh, he would flip the tables on Franco and say, I didn't write the book. No one's going to ever remember you. And that's what I was hoping for. And that, that didn't happen. He still wrote the book, but he didn't tell a story that was trying to like glamorize what took place. The book ended up being about the relationship that he had with Franco
0: and the manipulation that took place. Yeah. And basically how he was used from the little excerpt that he read. And if this movie is actually like based on that book exclusively, it's definitely very unbecoming from the perspective of uh, Jonah Hill's character. And it's very, it's like a very humbling type thing because he basically says, not only did I actually intentionally like lie about that shit in that story that I got fired for which is not very becoming, but also like immediately got taken in by another story where I was taken advantage of and my source was actually working me as opposed to the other way around, um, which was pretty interesting.
2: And he mentions at the beginning of the book signing uh, in the excerpt that he was reading that he hated Longo. He hated him. He said it three or four times because clearly he was grasping at straws to try to save his career and that plays into the narcissism a little bit because he was doing anything and everything he could to save his name which is kind of funny because his name meant nothing at the time that it was stolen from him so a lot of it it was just interesting to see that he was writing this book not only because he was intrigued but because he needed it more than anything and at the end of this movie in that scene where they're talking through the prison glass, it's very evident that this book could mean nothing if Longo talked. So,
0: which he ultimately did. So after the book signing scene, um, is there any, any other on the book signing scene?
1: Well, a bit where somebody stands up in the back of the room and it's James Franco. It's, it's not, it it is the the actor James Franco and he's he's clearly like a like a vision. I didn't I wasn't sure if maybe the question that was asked of Jonah Hill was a question being posed by a real member of the crowd or if it was entirely in Jonah Hill's head. But Jonah Hill s- saw James Franco's character um, kind of asking him some some deep questions um, and kind of like punctuates it with James Franco's behind bars. He lost his freedom. What did you lose? Yeah. Um, well, yeah,
0: What basically what was taken from you in this exchange. Yeah. I also, I did get the impression that it was a person. Mm-hmm. There was a quick cut scene where there was a person standing where Franco was. And I think it was it was meant to be the question that was being asked. That was what was triggering him to like sort of see it as if yeah. like it was just too on point, far more on point than he was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after, after the book signing scene, it cuts to the sort of true crime, true story follow ups. Shows pictures of both the real Mike Finkel and uh, Christian Longo and kind of where they're at now and yeah, what they're doing.
1: Oh, that was really, really, I don't know, sad. I, I don't know. It I had feelings. I think one of the last one of the last bits of information it throws at you is, you know, they they still see each other on the first Sunday of every month.
0: Seems like a, a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's very a odd. lot a lot weird. A lot weird. It's very a lot odd. Weird. Yeah.
1: For me, I I was saddened by it because I wanted Jonah Hill to to regain his power, but he clearly didn't. You know, he pretended to sort of.
0: But, but I also feel like I don't know. I'm curious because if it's if the motivation is something different, because like. It, they said, part also in the end thing, that like less than a year after the events of this movie and book, Longo admitted to all of the murders, said he killed them all. Mm-hmm. So he really shouldn't have any power over, over Finkel, so there, there must be something else motivating them to stay in touch.
1: Well, I think just because the song is done doesn't mean that Franco was done playing his instrument. You know not that he could really gain anything by it other than he needed control of something and he had Jonah Hill
0: oh no I understand why he would continue to talk but why would why would Finkel continue to talk to him? I
2: I think yeah. uh, once again I think the narcissism has a has a card to play in this because Finkel saw so much of himself in Longo. We talked about it earlier. What does it take? What what sets me apart from the serial killer that I just passed on the street? What makes me different from them? And I think Finkel saw something in Longo that he just couldn't let go of. Saw a lot of himself. You know, they, they had quite a few parallels. And beyond that, they did develop a genuine kinship throughout the interview process, or at least it was genuine on Finkel's side. Yeah. So at that point... After the the truth came out, there was nothing to lose. So if anything, he just had an interesting person to talk to, that he could relate to in a sort of
1: twisted, dark way. He needed to feel needed too. Yeah. I don't know. It.
0: It's Finkel and Einhorn. Einhorn and Finkel. Finkel and Einhorn. Einhorn. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I fucking had to. I every just keep saying Finkel. Laces out. You know. Yeah. So
1: that's. that's the narrative it um, is yeah in, in a nutshell i want to use this to segue into into one of my quotes i don't know if you guys want to jump into yours but definitely it, more i want to talk about okay with it but i, oh, I, I want to okay. use this as a springboard i into, hear you i hear one you. Of them. definitely um one of the scenes in this movie jonah hill's girlfriend ends up visiting james franco in prison and up to this point you don't know with certainty that that she is seeing through the bullshit because this happens you know a handful of scenes after that phone call that was made and so during that scene i'm sitting here as a viewer just hoping that she is not going to be played as well and like i don't know about you guys but again i i felt like he was in the seat of power in that situation until she very cleverly kind of weaves in a story about a, a musician, I, I forget the, the name of the, the composer specifically, who ended up brutally murdering his own family. And so she she said, I, I want to play something for you. She pulls out her phone and, and she, she presses play. And it's this kind of haunting, beautiful melody that, that's playing in the background. And she then says, this music is almost beautiful enough to make me forget that it was written by a man who broke his baby's skull on a piece of furniture, but not quite. And in that moment for me, it was just, it was so powerful because I got, I got shivers. It was like, everything that I was concerned about was, was, was for naught. Like she, she saw right through everything. And I, I, I loved that scene.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's basically saying you are an incredibly skilled manipulator. You've got an incredible skill set, but it's not good enough to work on me. And that's fucking, that's baller, dude. That's, that's. Yeah. What a great way to tell somebody like. Brutal. I'm not falling for your bullshit. I'm not saying you're not a master bullshitter, but but you haven't reeled in this fish.
1: Yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, I, I really that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie.
0: Yeah, I almost actually uh, also said one of my quotes when we were going over some of the narrative because like or, or not when we were going to the narrative, but like when we were talking about what sets us apart, what makes us not serial killers. The judge in this had an amazing quote when he was sort of like I don't know what what you call it when a judge gives their final sort of like little clipper phrase after like a closing statement yeah after verdicts are passed down the judge usually says some shit and it's usually pretty personal and and directed towards the defendant
1: they they give their opinions when kind of yeah yeah it's finally appropriate to do so
0: and uh he says to him in in this very you know in a much longer quote uh, embedded in that he says quite frankly you are a mystery to me and god willing you will remain so and that is just like fucking that's exactly what we were talking about like i i I was debating on whether or not we should bring that quote up in the middle when we were talking about that but like that's just it is like as a person who doesn't murder their family it's pretty fucking hard to understand the people who do Mm -hmm. and it's best if you
1: don't yeah honestly like
0: if it's if it's between like understanding as far as humans are concerned almost exclusively means empathy yeah and, and and Empathy is essential to every aspect of human interaction. But like there there are some people that like you got to be a special kind of person to want to empathize with them. You know, and the people who murder their own family are not s- on that list. Square No, I would say they're squarely in that oh, uh, in I... that group. They squarely in the group of I, I don't need to understand you because I don't want to build any empathy for you. And while I, I don't know if I necessarily, like, agree with that objectively, I feel like emotionally and subjectively, I definitely feel like that. Like, I am not interested in gathering an understanding and, and an empathic connection to a serial killer. No. Um, I, I think, objectively, it's important because I think if we just... If, if we want to shut ourselves out from understanding groups or, or people that, on the surface, we don't understand... Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a very like, slippery slope that can lead to a lot of prejudice and it hate. It sets
2: a dangerous precedent. It does,
0: exactly. And I, I, I laud the people who make it their job to understand these people and to try to help society as a result of understanding these people. I am glad that I am not one of them. <laughs> I, I second that. I second that motion. Do we want to cover anything else on our overview before jumping in? I just have like it's such a powerful and disturbing opening scene. The acting was awesome mm-hmm. uh, The directing was kind of you know it was fine the ri- the writing I think it I think they drew a lot from the book.
1: Yeah there were a few cinematic moments that that I appreciate I think the, the opening scene yeah. not in its brutality but in the uh, the close-up of the teddy bear as it's falling down. I thought that was a, a fine piece of, of work there I, I appreciated the way that that was done.
0: Oh, the way they shot it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, you really honestly didn't know what you were looking at until the teddy bear fell away from the camera a little bit. It was, it was... Even still, it was sort of a mystery. I didn't pick up that it was a suitcase
2: originally until I saw the zipper right. starting to close. And yeah. I was like, oh my God.
0: Yeah. Anything we didn't like in this movie?
1: Pacing is a frequent criticism that I have of a lot of movies. I, I didn't have it with this one. The score wasn't spectacular, it was but it didn't detract.
0: I felt like the connection between Jonah Hill and his girlfriend could have been developed a little bit more. I felt like they definitely tried to show like, okay, their relationship was not strained, but they were definitely doing the long distance thing because he worked in New York at the New York Times and he was constantly jet setting around the globe to do all of this stuff. And they clearly missed each other. That was described in a single phone call. And then when he lost his job, I think she was excited that he was sort of moving in with her, but he was broken and distraught and as he developed into this story the distance between them grew and that's really cool and like I, I got all that. But I I didn't feel like they were growing apart from each other because at no point did I really see them together. Other than that one phone call. That was the baseline that they were trying to set and I felt like they needed a stronger baseline so we could know. see the the different directions that they went in.
1: I think it was intentional. I think that we're trying, I think that the, the people who were making this movie were, were trying to draw parallels between James Franco and Jonah Hill throughout the movie and how narcissism can manifest in different people. And their relationship, Jonah Hill and his girlfriend uh, was so estranged. I would assume that was, that was intentional. It was supposed to show that he was also absorbed in his work and he didn't have room for passion I didn't know if they were boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, until a few scenes, you know, I was like, is this his sister? And it wasn't until she kisses him. So like, I took that to mean that his condition, Jonah Hill's condition was one that left him detached from everyone else in a way that facilitated his, his own passions, that he, that he was very absorbed in what he was doing. And she was a passenger to
0: his story. I think that's a super interesting like perspective on it. But if I feel like if that's the case, then I would have liked the other thing like to be a little bit more heavy-handed about like this is what we're trying to do you know like like if your point is to land which i think it's a very well constructed point i feel like it's we're too on we're too much on on one side of the other that's true or should i say like one point is on one side one point is on the other we're too much in the middle like either make it more heavy-handed that the narcissism is driving this like cold detachment or set the foundation for, like, a warm, loving relationship and then, and then show the progression of the detachment.
2: Well, and, and Longo actually has a line uh, that sort of alludes to that during the manipulative phone call to Jill, Jonah Hill's girlfriend. He had mentioned that, you know, he had made friends with Finkel and that he feels like Mike could do that with, with everybody. And she says, no, I think you're, I think you're special. And what that suggests to us is that you're right, that Mike is a very cold and detached person, typically, seemingly lacking in a certain level of empathy and more an intellectual curiosity. He he likes to pick people apart. He's an investigative journalist. So he doesn't form lasting relationships with a whole lot of people. He gets what he needs from them and moves on which makes for a difficult romantic partner because you never know how long they're going to stick around. So the fact that she could feel him drifting away from her and towards this murderer of his family, I think the subtext there was that she was very uncomfortable that he was drifting in the wrong direction. And to build off of that, I think my only complaint with this movie is that we didn't really get to see as much of Jill's side as I would have liked we see her in the background a lot, you know, d- during the interview scenes, we hear the the narrative being uh, discussed between Finkel and Longo, and we see Jill at work in what seems to be some sort of university library, cataloging books and looking at old tomes and doing her job, but we don't really get a full picture we just get glimpses of that
0: yeah it, it's a little thin like she's like looking at an illuminated manuscript where like the first letter you know is all a picture and shit and it's like it's the devil like consuming souls bodies letter, and souls yeah. and shit and you're just like okay well clearly there's some strong symbolism there but at the same time like
2: it's not a full picture you're, it's
0: not you're you're kind of giving me half of what i need to really characterize this person this character like to really get them square in my mind.
1: Do you think that, again, just continuing to play devil's advocate here, do you think that that was intentional for a more dramatic scene where she turns the tables on him in, when she visits him in the cell?
0: I don't know. I, I feel like, honestly, it would have been better the other way. Like, if we had known her more, we were more invested or more, more convinced that she wasn't going to do that, and then she just fucking, like, blindsides us, I think it would have made for a little bit more powerful of a scene. It's true. But other than that I mean I, I did I did dig this movie overall yeah. and, you know maybe slight hair splitting on that account but Felicity Jones did, a, did an amazing job yeah. in this movie, but I think the writing may have just been like a little a little lacking there. Uh, do we want to move on to quotes? Yeah we already yeah. we already dipped into a few of them. There's one that I really like that I feel like illustrates the interplay between the two main characters very well. Um, there, it's when they're first, It's kind of in the middle of the montage, to be honest. They've, like, already sort of become friends, but they are not quite to the end. And Finkel brings up this writing exercise so Longo can practice his writing. And it's basically, like, word association. So you give a single word, and the person needs to write down the first thing that comes to their mind. And they do three of them. And on the third one, the term given out is liar. And, like, when they exposed, they both basically wrote down each other, which is, like, fucking pretty powerful to begin with. But they kind of laugh about it. And Finkel, Jonah Hill's character, is like, what? I'm a liar? He's like, you stole my identity. And Franco's like, well, I was in Mexico. What was I supposed to do? I had to choose someone. And Hill was like, I don't know, choose Dr. Seuss. And he responds, no, I needed it to be somebody nobody knew. Yeah. And it was like it was really funny in the moment. And I think this was one of those pieces of dialogue that the writers wanted you to reflect on later because it was one of those things where in the moment it was just like a a funny thing like, oh ha ha Like, I accidentally said something that maybe was not very nice or bruised your ego a little bit, but in retrospect, after knowing what this person actually did and how manipulative they actually are, I think it was anything but an accident. It was very calculating, and it was basically to... He's grooming him. Yeah, basically, a little bit, yeah. Like, in the same way that you, you like, use a cattle prod or a sheepdog to, like, get the animal to go in the direction that you want, sometimes you need, like, a nip and he he intentionally bruised his ego in order to fit him into the box that he was trying to get him in and to flip that power dynamic and diminish him a mm-hmm. little bit and to take away that identity that he had built as a writer like i mean this guy was on the cover of fucking the new york times nine times like people knew who the fuck he was yeah but longo was trying to wash that out of his head mm-hmm. uh and that was the pretty powerful scene in yeah. retrospect and also just kind of like a funny quirky scene in normal viewing. Um Jackson, you got a pretty good one from the uh prosecutioner. The
2: prosecutioner. There's the prosecutioner. Yeah, so in the scene where where the prosecutioner is trying <laughs> to get information out of uh Jonah Hill's character you know, he, he's trying to make him give up the book and all the facts in it so that they can make a case against Longo. And Jonah Hill's character is, Finkel is just not going to do it. He says, no, you know, for the first time in this movie, he has journalistic integrity and says, no, I made a promise and I'm not going to do it. And he says, look, I'm trying to make you feel guilty enough to talk to me. I'm putting the turd, so to speak, in your pocket. which was a hilarious line that made me laugh. Uh, Probably the only time I laughed in this movie, but it had a, a very vivid symbolism there because clearly this was Finkel's responsibility to put this man away. He had all of the information and in all the cards. But we find out later all those cards were Jokers and Wilds because he didn't have the facts. He had suggestions of the facts. So he's, he, you know, he says, I'm putting the turd, so to speak, in your pocket, meaning I'm giving you this burden so that I don't have to shoulder it because you're the one with the information. You're the one that can put this guy away.
0: Passing the buck.
2: Mm-hmm. Passing I'm gonna, the buck.
0: I'm going to be fucking putting turds in so many people's pockets right so uh, one of my other quotes comes immediately after that almost basically after jonah hill says no i'm not going to help you and the the cop like walking away says why don't you give me a call if you're having trouble sleeping like you're not going to be able to live with the decision that you've just made so when it's eating you alive you give me a fucking call like what a badass way to walk Uh, away mm -hmm
2: mic drop if i've ever heard one
0: my last quote um i was actually debating on whether or not i wanted to work this into the uh, into the discussion earlier my last quote is actually <laughs> a quote by jackson <laughs> and so we try to like we try to keep it kind of quiet while we're watching the movies so we we don't miss anything but sometimes you, you know you just can't help it because the movie gets to you and speaks to you and i just like hear very quietly from like during the scene where longo is on the call with jill and it's getting really creepy and it's dark and she's like closing the door and all this shit i like hear jackson from the corner breathe god i'm so creeped out right now (laughs) (laughs) and that just like fucking nailed it like it was a very creepy scene it was like giving you the heebie-jeebies i think earlier you described it as like i just wanted to call my wife
2: yeah (laughs) I'm just like she's she's alone in the apartment right now and I'm here and yeah, I'm gonna give her a quick text just to make sure she's awake.
0: All of those serial killers that you're in contact with from the, the state penitentiary, you know, make sure they do not have your home number.
2: Yeah, they have my cell.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. That's smart. That's yeah, smart. Yeah, they're they're calling me from their cell.
1: Whip whip <laughs> <laughs> Uh are
0: we gonna are we gonna rate this thing? I think we're ready okay I feel like I don't want to put rules on it but I also like maybe we should be tactful about like the rating system that we use on yeah. on, on this so we don't get hate mail okay so I we... might write in hate mail if we... <laughs> oh
1: man all right um this well... is a
2: hard movie to rate can we jump in uh, take it
0: all right this movie is like good plus good not great I think it's definitely worth watching I think it's for a niche audience I'm gonna give this movie a six. 0.6 illuminated manuscripts
1: mm, i like that i went a little bit higher again i i agree it's not for everybody i, I was i was very intrigued by franco's performance Ugh, maybe i shouldn't say that out loud anyway uh i'm gonna it's go okay we've already checked you in with a mental health professional yeah, <laughs> yeah they're outside they're, oh
0: they're waiting outside
1: all right well i don't want to keep them waiting i'm gonna give <laughs> this uh a
0: 7.8 suitcases. Oof, that was right in the line uh. there. That was, uh, yep, yep. Uh. There, there was an extra element uh, that I was trying to avoid, yep. uh, but you, you skirted it.
2: Um, so I was a little less generous just because uh, while I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, it made me very physically uncomfortable. Killing of family members is on a certain list of things that I just don't handle well. Um, so I was, I, <laughs> I just, yeah, that's, yep, that's, that's a about reasonable as, list to, uh, thing to be on that list. Diplomatic as I can put it. <laughs> yeah, I like hearing that from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went with a solid 6.5 schmulitzers. Ooh. Oh Ooh.
0: man, that's okay. That is both the most creative deep. and tactful, <laughs> uh, rating that I think we've ever had on the show. It's kind of a deep cut you, you, too. You're going to have to, you're going to have okay, to explain so,
2: So um, after Finkel writes his story on the the child in Africa, the the ones being beaten, he writes this award-winning piece. He makes the cover of the New York Times magazine. He's on the phone with Jill, and he's telling, you know, hey, I just got back, and this is a great story. I think I did really well. Uh, Did you read it? And she's like, did I read it? Of course. I'm going to frame it. And so he, you know, he's walking into the office. He says, hey, yeah, I'm actually on my way to the office now. Um, Mark and Karen want to talk to me. And, you know, she says, what do you think they want? And he says, well, I don't know what they want, but I think it rhymes with Schmulitzer, obviously being the Pulitzer Prize, which I I don't know how I held on to that. But it was just really entertaining to me that I was able to pull that out.
0: Yeah, no, I'm that, well done.
1: How the hell did you remember what his
2: boss's names were? I, I, again, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Says the person who's named the same
2: name as one of the bosses. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I have this innate ability to remember innocuous things and forget very important information. Wow. Great at trivia. Terrible at my job. I'm going
0: to get that tattooed along with no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, are, are we ready to uh, wrap this like a Christmas present? Uh, I think so. Just don't put it in a suitcase. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Alright, well, that is all for the All Crap Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews, email us at 3, that is the number 3, meninabasement at gmail.com. Also, Goo Bag going on tour fall 2020. Uh, bag of Goo, sorry. Yeah. Um, goo Bag is our first album. And Goo Envelope. Goo Envelope, which is our opening act. Yes. They're a smaller version of us. Uh, it's pretty delightful.
2: Similar to Goo Man Group?
0: Yeah, they're big in, in the CD underground
2: of Vegas. It's a wet percussion band. It's very entertaining and visceral.
0: It's it's actually, it's a, the Blue Man Group is a wet percussion band. Uh, the Goo Man Group is a moist uh, percussion band. That's a
2: good distinction, yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> one more time, that's... Three men and a basement at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod, Mark up. Action Jackson. All right. We'll see you in cyberspace.